All right. Now we're in the corner. Tiny. They're kind of big, actually. Um, but here goes nothing. How is it possible for the Jews to be saved when they have rejected their Messiah? I think what you're asking is, how could the Jews be saved if they rejected Jesus? the notion that Jesus is the Messiah? Right. Is that what you're saying? Yes. That, I've kind of put it out there the way that the question was actually asked, that they're Messiah. Like, it's like they're only Messiah. So, anyway. But yes, that would be, that would be correct. How could a person defy the words of the prophets of Israel and hope to be saved? That's the real question that should be asked. Equally, I, I asked the same thing to Rabbi Sovia. The prophets, the prophet Daniel in particular, said the Messiah would come in time right before the destruction of the Second Temple. Um, where was he? Who was he? But I say this with love. I want Christians to repent. When the Torah says, You should know today, you must place it on your heart. The Almighty, He is God. By from heaven above to the earth below, and there is no one else, nothing else. The question really should be asked is, how could it be that a person believes that there is another deity, another person in the Godhead? So let's talk about that. This is a pretty common rejection, even from Muslims too, who are all about the unity of the Godhead. Um, and of course, we are also about the unity of the Godhead because Christians also read the same scripture, the same Deuteronomy verses that say, Shema Israel, Yahweh Elohenu, Yahweh Had. Um, or as he might say, with uh, insert, take out Yahweh and put it in them. Uh, Adonai. Yeah. But um, when we say God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, um, we know that one Lord, that one God to be of three persons. And there's a couple um, ways that this is worked into the Shema and the other institutions of God's law, the Torah, or as he calls it the, I can't even pronounce it the way he does something unpronounceable by me, um, that allow for the Trinity. So that those statements that say the Lord, our God, or the Lord our God, the Lord is one are not exclusive to denying the Trinity. They're exclusive to denying uh, a three person, a uh, three God Trinity or polytheism or a die God, you know, any, anything but a one God Trinity, but it does allow for a multitude of persons within the one Godhead. Um, and maybe, Sebastian, you can elaborate on the words used in the Shema and the Lohenu and others like that. Exactly, yes. So word by word, is, you know, a translation would be, listen, hear Israel. I am is our God's I am is one. If you were to take it as it is, mm -hmm. and people recognize that Elohim is a plural, is what you use for we, you know, that's a plural. It's not just I or myself, it's we us so how can it be that the name of god yahweh means i am but it can also it is in here it's used as a plural and equally i mean so, so this is a similar concept to um at the very beginning in genesis 1 when god says let us go make man in our image or genesis 2 let us go make man in our image um let us and our are considered plural they are plural um there are a couple different theories behind that some say he's Jesus and God is talking to the royal council in the uh, heavens. So he's talking to the angels, the elders, of the angels, or someone up in heaven. Let us go down and make them in our image. But again, the argument I would have against that is that our image is specifically God's, not the angels, because men were not made in angels' images. So even if he did have, and assuredly God does and did have a council there around him in heaven, he was not speaking to them when he said, let us make them in our image. And so I think the only way you can justify this is to say that there are multiple persons in the Godhead. However, um, let's be 
frank and real, the Jews, and therefore true Israel, did not have an understanding of the Trinity prior to Christ. The, the revelation of the Trinity was given in Christ's time. So that is not something that I would have expected Jews to have realized about the language. And so there is a tradition in Judaism of considering these I, we, and the, even the, the pluralness of Elohenu to mean the royal we, how God is greater than man. And sometimes kings in Europe and other places will say, um, let us go down and see the poor. Or, you know, we decree that such and such is law. Um, and so they claim that it's essentially a magnanimous way of saying I and the singular. However, I would argue, and I think linguistic scholars would also argue, that the royal we is typically used to mean the whole noble court. So when the king says, let us go down, he actually means himself and the whole noble court, or perhaps his family. And equally, when he announces a decree, we declare, he's actually pronouncing himself. Yes, of course, the crown is demanding this, but also the whole retinue of nobles that are around him are in agreement with the king when he says that they're declaring this law, hence the we. And so when God says we, I don't think we should simply dismiss it as um, a mystery or a linguistic anomaly that God would use the um, we as a singular. I think he is speaking about we, the Godhead, um, not to mention all the different um, Christophanies. When, when God the Father is not appearing on earth, God the Father, uh, God, known to the Jews just as God, Lord above, Yahweh, appears and people do not die. Isaiah does not die when he sees God. Um, the prophets don't die when they see God. Um, so equally, how, how are both true? How are you dead if you see God, but also entirely able to live if you see God? And we would say that it's God um, in his three persons and that God the Father cannot be seen without dying unless you are born again. But those who are of unclean lips, like all of us would be, um, can see the Lord Jesus. So in that, in that mm -hmm. sense, that God's revelation to Jacob and um, to even Adam and Eve in the garden would have been the son, not the father. But we'll let him mm -hmm. continue. Worships this association. How could the person have any hope for salvation if you have God as, as the one you adore and love, but you're getting text messages from somebody else, love messages from another? That's the question that should be asked. But again, we're not getting from another. And there is no God. No one can save you from my hand. Not Jesus, not Mary, not the saints. Only and agreed. We don't believe that the saints can save you from his hand. We don't believe Mary can save you from his hand. Mary's not part of the Trinity, nor is she divine. She is simply another person, just like the rest of us uh, saints. So... God is the only one that can save you. So we are fully in agreement with Deuteronomy, and it is the only God. So it's not a different God. It is the same God that there always was and has been and will be. But that God is in three persons. And so Jesus always was and will be. Right. Sounds like he got something from the treasury of marriage or, you know, her something along those lines. But yes, it's only God alone who saves, not well, your own efforts. And, and he's probably examining other... Christian, quote-unquote Christian beliefs, like the Orthodox, like the Catholics. So cut him some slack there. But just speaking as Protestants, we don't hold to Mary or the saints being able to save us. It's purely Jesus, purely God, the Father, the Spirit, and Jesus all working in unity because they are the same and one God. Only the God of Israel alone. This is the Torah, and this, I want Christians to listen to me very carefully. You think like we just, we, hey, Christians, we don't like the hats, we don't like the outfits, we don't like the churches. Yeah, that's why we think you hate 
<laughs> the church. We know why you reject the Bible says why you reject Jesus. Um, so we know that you don't despise Christianity because of its hats or its other traditions. We know that you reject nonsense. We just if we have to choose between ideas that had developed in the church, proclaimed by Paul in the Carmen Christi and Philippians two, and between Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher of blessed memory, there's no contest here. If we have to choose, when Yeshaya says these words, remember these first things from eternity, because I am God, and there is no other God, and there is no one like me, Isaiah 46, verse 9. And equally, the Trinity would be a unique um, existence, if it is indeed the truth, as we would proclaim it is. So there is none like God. He is one God. There is no after or before. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father always were together in unity. And the same prophet, Isaiah, prophesies about the coming of the Messiah and describes him in a unique way. Sebastian, if you have it up. Mm -hmm. Yes, and you know, just as a quick side note before I get to Isaiah 53, the, the one that he quoted is something that we have used to establish mm -hmm. God's sovereignty. Because if you continue down, God declares the end from the beginning. Just a quick side. And... For Isaiah 53, going down, talks about the Messiah, talks about the future coming uh, king of Israel. He was assigned a great to the wicked. So this, this section. For the transgressions of my people he was punished, he was assigned a great with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. So, he's going to be crushed. He's going to die. But then he's going to see his offspring, and he's going to resurrect. Who else fulfills this better than Jesus? Yeah, no, it doesn't say the word resurrection, but of course the... Um... The problem there with not having a resurrection involved is twofold. Um, one, this man is going to suffer and die, right? Be cut off from his people and die. And yet, he'll be counted as blessed and see his offspring. He will. Not his offspring will. Not his offspring will continue. He will see his offspring. He will see the rest of his life. So that necessitates resurrection um, if we're talking about a single man. Now, two ways um, Jews typically approach this. One, um, sometimes they rip out portions of Isaiah that talk about, for example, appears for our transgressions and all that. Um, they will change it, um, supposing that the original Hebrew said that he was surrounded by lions, I think is the alternate if you change some of the letters around. Um, of course, that comes from a text 1,000 years after Jesus. The Jews, just like any other sect, like Christianity, have... Um, handwritten copies of everything to that point and so we don't have a lot of the original hebrew and so the most recent hebrew we have for the most part is from the thousands when the um, jews put it together and those compilations uh, aren't necessarily the most accurate especially when we have the septuagint which we consider to be closer to the original sources the it's greek translated from the hebrew um, in any case we reject that mistranslation of isaiah to try to take out some of the details that seem particularly indicative of Jesus' death. But then equally, they approach this text and say that this person who will be struck down and will see his offspring, um, that he is actually just representative of all of Israel. That is all the faithful Jews. And so they say he is actually Israel, the man, but Israel, the man, represents all of Israel. And then he'll be struck down, um, but he will... Uh, 
live on, right? As, as Israel does today. Um, however, the description, if you read it, it does not make sense for a singular, uh, for anything but a singular man. Uh, and equally, the description of the Jews bearing the sin of the world and uh, is just not right. I mean, Isaiah is all about knocking on the Jews for their current unfaithfulness and then giving them hope for the future. This this perpetual suffering, Jewish suffering for the world is not not a concept anywhere else besides this passage, if you're going to make it into that. And the Messiah is supposed to reconcile Gentile and Jew and establish peace on earth. Um, so this is clearly a messianic passage and Jews of the time took it as a messianic passage. Like nobody was arguing about it in the first century that this was non-messianic. It was only post-Christ that they decided to try to knock it. So I think it's cl- clearly messianic and it's clearly about a resurrecting Messiah. So the fact that Jesus died is all the more confirmation of his Messiahhood. So we trust Yeshaya. We believe that Yeshaya is the word of Hashem. These words are not proclaimed in churches for good reason. We proclaim them all the time. I mean, you just said we use them in a podcast. These words are skipped over in churches. Most Christians don't study these words. That's just not true. That's just blatant lies. I mean, most Christians don't read the Bible because they're not real Christians, right? So putting that aside, those who actually believe in the Bible, of course they read these and we use it to defend the, the Godhood all the time against those, against Hindus, against Muslims, against Mormons, against, you know, tons of cults. Guard yourself very carefully. Why? Because you saw no image. There was no physical being, nothing, on the day that God spoke to you from Chorev, which is Mount Sinai, from within the fire. Now, what are we supposed to do? Along comes a religion that says, there's surely one God, but there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's nothing remotely resembling that in Tanakh. Moreover, the prophets warned us over and over again, don't believe there's nothing else, nothing, nothing. Deuteronomy chapter 4. If a person reads Deuteronomy chapter 4, then a person has to repent immediately. You have been shown this, Lodas, that you may know. Ki Hashem hu elim, that HaKadosh Baruch He is God. Ein oid mulvado, there is no one else besides Him. But we agree, you don't have to repent immediately because the Godhead is the loophole, if you want to call it that, um, that allows for three persons, one God. They're not different gods. They're not competing gods. They're all the exact same God in three persons. And was I getting some hints that saying that he was saying that then he appears, but God has no form? But yeah, and I think he is getting at that Abraham. too. Yeah. Yeah, who spoke with Abraham in Genesis 18? Then the Lord, Yahweh, you know, Adonai, Yahweh, appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while they were sitting at the entrance. And then he proceeded to offer him some food and wash his feet. So Moses is saying, oh, you know, the, the, supposedly, you know, Moses compiled, wrote mm-hmm. the first five books. And, and so who is this? He says, it's Yahweh. So are you disagree with Moses? And Moses even speaks to him as as face to face, right? He goes into the Holy of Holies and speaks to God face to face. And equally, when he goes up the mountain, he speaks to God face to face. And then, even though he is speaking to God face to face on the top of Mount Sinai, he says, "God, can I see you?" So, who is he talking to? Is he talking to the angel of the Lord? Which we we would attest that the angel of the Lord is not just an angel of the Lord; is the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord is Jesus, the messenger of the Father. Both are God, and both are treated as God, as you just described. Um, it's, he's considered Yahweh when, when Abraham sees the angel of the Lord. He's considered Yahweh. And equally, when um, Israel, Jacob, wrestles um, Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, um, it's considered Yahweh. 
and he says Yahweh's blessed me this day and and, and he gets um, hurt on the hip from Yahweh um, but so the angel of the Lord is Yahweh though it is not the father so when Moses asked to see and, he, and you know, his brother asked to see the form of God um, first of all he does come and I believe this is God the father showing him his form or maybe the glorified Christ in any case this unveiled glory of God um, is shown but it is it puts them to death right they all die and have to be raised again um, instantaneously it's not some three days resurrection but um, there is a form to God the father and there's a form to God the son and those who see the son don't perish um, so yes there's definitely precedence for this in the Torah in the prophets and in the writings yes let me just quickly before you know so we let him continue that when Jacob wrestles with this angel who says the messenger, the word of God, Jesus is the word of God. Jacob called the place Benuel, saying, because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Benuel means the face of God. Again, he wrestled with God, literally. He actually grabbed God, not the Father, but we, we say the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, the word of God, Jesus. And, and so the, the passage about Mount Horeb is correct because that's what God did at that time, right? They all surrounded Mount Horeb and God spoke from the mountain so they didn't see anything, yet they heard his voice. That doesn't say that, A, God doesn't have form or that he doesn't take forms. That's misreading. The Holy One sought to convey that there are three persons within a triune Godhead, he would have said so. And he would have proclaimed that at Mount Sinai. He would have proclaimed that at a national revelation at, at, at Chayrev. It's quite presumptuous that God owes you anything or owes any explanation of how things work. It's kind of like if if the angels work a particular way, so say there's a hierarchy of angels, that God would have proclaimed it at Sinai. Why? Why would we, why would we have expected him to? We, we don't know how angels work. Frankly, it's a mystery of, of heaven, right? a mystery of God. He doesn't have to reveal to us anything about himself if he doesn't want to. So certainly he was not... Pro- it wasn't his proclivity to explain anything about how he is. Everything that he gives us, every revelation piece that he gives us is precious and true, but he doesn't owe us any more than he's given us. So, of course, he didn't have to give revelation of the Trinity before the New Testament. Um, Jews, I would argue, already knew that God had this proclivity and ability to appear to them in different ways, in different persons, right? The angel of the Lord is a stand-in for what we understand now as the Son, as Jesus, right? Because they knew it was different than the Father, yet it was the same God, and they treated him as the same God. So Jewish scholars of the day had this this understanding. It's only Jews today, because they're so um, reactionary to Christianity, that they would reject that entirely. And so the this this uh, over-dramatization of expecting, oh, God would have told us about the Trinity at Sinai, and anybody who deni- who accepts Jesus is denying um, the Shema Israel is, is false. It's a false mm-hmm. uh, binary. Let's drive this point home, Michael, because I think this might, this might resonate with our Jewish friends. Let's focus on the law. Did Noah know about the law? Surely didn't know about the full Torah, but he knew about that Torah that was already given. Right, right. So Noah, Noah, the prophet, the prophet the, uh, after he gets off the boat, he gets a commander, you know, what not to eat or no, animals are not permitted to be eaten. Did Abraham have the complete you know, law as was revealed to Moses? No, it was revealed over time. So my point is, even Jews, we have to see that revelation happens over time. It didn't, you know, Noah doesn't just get off the ark and then boom, he gets a Bible in his hands. Like I, We have no evidence 
that Noah knew that the Jews would be exiled to Babylon. That took time once the kingdom was established. So again, if we're if we're honoring the Old Testament, you have to see Jew and Christian that revelation takes place over time, and not everything's just dropped on top of the Israelites on on one moment. It takes time. Hopefully, that made sense. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Otherwise, why would you have the prophets? If you already even the law, of course, the law is what's needed to live life and rule Israel. And it's what's needed for righteousness. But um, God still sent prophets to speak more. And so, like you said, the revelation comes in time. And so it did come in time in the New Testament as well. You have to remember that the events that occurred at Mount Sinai are unprecedented in the annals of human history. There was nothing like it beforehand and nothing after it. Nothing. That's why more than half the world, more than 50% of all people on earth, well over half the world, maybe they're not crazy about the Jews. I didn't do a survey lately. Maybe they are. I don't know. But one thing I can assure you of, more than half the world believes that the prayer of Moses is, comes directly from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And the re- revelation at Mount Sinai is completely unique. It was a national revelation. Why would God in a national revelation to an entire people who heard the voice of God. You heard the voice that God spoke. But you saw no image. Zulasi called only a voice. Once again, we already addressed that. I would also like to point out that he's trying to say that Sinai was entirely unique. Well, of course, every event that ever happens is entirely unique because time keeps moving on. Um, but nowhere does the coming of God there on uh, Horeb um, also exclaim, I will never do this kind of thing again. In fact, um, do they not say that another will be brought up like Moses that speaks to God face to face? And so this speaking to God is um, special. It's a rare thing to happen. And of course, the full revelation to the whole people of God at Mount Horeb is something that we haven't seen before like that. But to say that the category of something like that is completely barred from ever happening again is just presumption. It's just tradition. It's not from God's word. So when we say that God, the word, spoke to his people on the Mount of Olives or um, the feet when he fed the thousand, Jesus, when he did, um, and then you might claim, Rabbi, that the coming of Mount Sinai was entirely unique and to say that Jesus also spoke, that God, Jesus, spoke to his people again at a nation, national level um, is going against the promise that this was a unique Sinai event uh, is foolishness. It's just tradition. It's not from the scripture. Let that ring to all the Orthodox churches that have displays of, of icons of Jesus and Mary and the saints. Quick pause. Yeah, we agree that um, God has an image. That's why he says, make no graven image of me. And we also agree that the idolatry of the Orthodox Church, the idolatry of the Catholic Church, and any other Christians who um, pray and worship to icons, to images, are false. Um, that That is idolatry, and we agree. But God's form... God does have a form and can take a form, um, but he pro- He keeps us, he, he precludes us, he denies us the ability to draw him or um, worship him in drawn form or sculpt him or whatever. We're not allowed to make graven images of God that we then worship like, of course, the other pagan nations did. What the hell are you doing? Let that ring in the ears in the Vatican for all those who stand in front of statues and idols made out of clay. Let them repent and leave this silliness, this, this abomination. What's unbelievable, I'll tell you a crazy thing. In, I've been to the Sinai Peninsula many, many times, many times. 
I don't know if what is called Mount Sinai in the Sinai Peninsula is the actual Mount Sinai of where the Torah was given a little over 3,300 years ago. I don't know. There are a number of places that people believe is the original Mount Sinai. To Jews, relics are not very important because we are the living, breathing witness people. But in the Orthodox Church, relics are very important. I would just want to point this out. He's, he's clearly speaking about modern Judaism um, when he says that relics aren't important because they had like a jillion relics, like maybe less relics than the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church because they have a ridiculous amount of relics, like an embarrassing amount of relics. The Protestant Church, to my knowledge, doesn't hold the relics at all. Maybe I'm missing a denomination that does. But um, Jews of old, I think there's no arguing, had many relics, the ephod, um, the Urim and Thurim, the Ark of the Covenant, um, all the holy things from the temple, all the things from the sepulcher and the basins that Solomon made. So they had plenty of relics and little pieces of relics and all the relical stuff. The only reason, I think, that Jews don't have the same superstitious relic tradition as, as heavy as the Catholics and Orthodox do um, is because they lost everything in 70 AD, right? Everything was entirely destroyed, melted down, destroyed, and stolen, and whatever else you might say, tragedy to the Jews. However, um, that's all relics were destroyed. So it's not some like great holiness of the fact that the Jews haven't developed a relic tradition. Now, I agree, relics are dumb. We shouldn't hold to them. Um, I don't hold to the Catholic Orthodox tradition, but to say that the Jews are, um, it's something special about Jewish theology that keeps them from relics, well, that's just false. In fact, commanded they keep certain relics, right, for the time that they had them, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ephods, the Urim and Thurim, etc. Mm -hmm. And we have addressed this in our episode on Roman Catholicism, I believe briefly also in our episode on Eastern Orthodoxy. So shout out to our other episodes that we have made. And don't think that we don't call out fellow Christians for their nonsense, because we do. And believe it or not, the Christians built a church, an old, old church, on top of that, on top of what Christians believe is Mount Sinai. I'm not interested if it was, it's not. But not all Christians, it's a, just a subsect, right? I would contend that it's not there. I would contend that it's in Arabia. Um, but whatever. It's kind of like he's saying, it's not that important. They built it and they believe that's Mount Sinai. It's called St. Catherine's. I never dove in there, but believe me, it's up there. And it's an Orthodox church. And you could be sure that place is loaded with icons on the very place they believe that Moses said these words. Coiled the verb, atem shemim, that you heard the voice of God, but you saw no image. They put images there. I don't care about the, you saw no image, whatever, that, that's nonsense. He's, it's non-secular. They didn't see any image, but that's not because God can't be put in an image. However, we do have a restriction from Mount Sinai, make no graven images of me, right? You should have no other gods before me. So I, I do think it would be a shame if that was a real Mount Sinai, and here they are, what I would agree is idolatry on it. Um, kind of the part of the reason I think that it's not Mount Sinai, for other reasons too, but that God has protected the, his real Mount Sinai um, from the idolatry of, of quote-unquote Christians. It's mind-blowing. The desire to smoke is so crazy. He sees them smoking, and he goes to them and says, how come, how come, why are you smoking? You know this is going to kill you. And it's, mom is talking to them is like talking, yeah, but this, and like this, and if I'm smoking like this, it's not going to be so much. And go, but what are you doing? Like, do you want to die? So when the person asks me, imagine the person says, how could, you don't do crack, Rabbi. How could you survive without doing crack? And people go, oh, you're comparing Jesus to crack? Of course I am. In fact, crack can only kill you in this world. Worshipping idolatry will kill you for eternity. will destroy your place in the world to come. It's, it's, it's nocherge. But he hasn't proven that it's idolatry. In fact, we would contend that it's not idolatry. The image worship is idolatry, which he keeps saying. But um, the image of God is man, right? He made us in our image. So, I mean, 
in his image. So our, uh, we don't worship men, right? But we see men walking around. And equally, we can see um, God. People have seen God. Israel saw God. Um, so uh, the, the comparison to Horeb is, is dumb, uh, one, because there's plenty of examples, like we were just pointing out, Sebastian, of people seeing God. Um, they're rare events. I'm not claiming to have seen God myself. However, um, it doesn't preclude God from doing it. And then secondly, um, he hasn't proven here at all that, that Jesus is um, idolatry, that to worship Jesus is idolatry. So when he says, if somebody says, <laughs> I mean, the problem, the real problem why somebody would come up and why this question even comes up to Rabbi Sobia, Tobia Singer is um, Jews claim to hope in a Messiah and he has not come. Jews have been scattered across the world um, and now they're, they're returning back. Where is the Messiah, right? Sh- shouldn't he have come before the destruction of the second temple? Because guess what? How can you be a faithful Jew today? How can you? There's no temple. You cannot do any sacrifices. There's no priesthood. Um, see, you you cannot fulfill the law today. As a Jew, you cannot fill the law today. There's not even a, a, a allowance in the Torah for when you're in exile because it was already the exile already happened. Seven years of Babylon, right? And they did have a particular exemption and rules for that time. And quickly that was remedied within 70 years. A long time for that generation. But within 70 years, that was remedied. The temple was rebuilt and they were redoing the sacrifices. So in this most recent temple destruction 2,000 years ago happened. What, what was the remedy and what was the prediction from the Jewish rabbis at the time? What was God's direction to the Israelites that this would happen, repent soon, if it wasn't Jesus? That's why people ask you, who's the Messiah? Who's your Messiah? How do you reject Jesus? Because he is the only way, or at least as proposed, only way for you to be fulfilling the law today. And so we would say, the Christians are the real Israel. Jews that repent and turn are the real Israel. Non-Jews, Gentiles that are brought into the fold by Jesus Christ, by God, by Yahweh, are the real Israel. And we're able to fulfill the sacrifices through Jesus Christ, through our new high priests. You have no priest, Tobia, nor do any Jews today that reject the Messiah. So it's not like crack, like, oh, it's fun. Why don't you come join Jesus? It's fun. It's not, it is fun, but it's not, that's not the reason we're here. We're doing it to fulfill the law, to be righteous, to be justified. And if you don't have any justification, you are bound for hell. That's the reality. So if, if you claim that Jesus is idolatry, we can debate that, and we do. But who are you turning to to be righteous? It's, it's not like crack in which you can just choose not to do crack. It's like food, and you say, oh, I don't eat food. <laughs> okay, well, then you'll surely die, right? That's, that's the predicament you find yourself in. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and come on, it's neglecting what... David said in the psalm to you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a priest and a king as you as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. If we don't have a temple now who is interceding for us with Yahweh, with God now? Well, we have the Messiah himself, Jesus, who atoned once and for all, who did the ultimate sacrifice and hence why there's no need to have another temple. So if we're going to honor God we understand the need for atonement for our transgressions, we're going to turn to the ultimate Melchizedek, so to say, the word of God, Jesus. So people like Michael Brown, who are Jewish in background, but have turned to Jesus, Messianic Jews, they are honoring God. They're Jewish and they're honoring God. People who are Jewish and reject the Messiah, you're not honoring God because how are you atoning for your sins? There's no atonement. There's nothing. There's no priesthood. There's like all the massive parts of the Torah that um, are unfulfillable right now. It's embarrassing. And frankly, it's not a surprise, I think, that Jews um, today, faithful Jews, and they're faithful to their religion, are 
so reliant on traditions, so reliant on the teachings of rabbis versus the Torah, versus the, the prophets, versus the writings. Of course, they read those, but they have huge novels written um, in the Mishnah, huge volumes that they memorize. And all the schools in Israel and schools in New York, where they send their boys and men to just study um, the word all day, they could study the Bible, study the Torah, study the uh, prophets, and study the writings and be done within several years. But instead, they spend their whole lives studying tradition after tradition, teaching after teaching, because the great mystery is how do you be faithful now that you can't be faithful? You can't fulfill any of the Torah because of the destruction of the temple. So once again, you need a Messiah. That's why people ask you to have a Messiah. And refusing to take the Messiah and then not fulfilling it, not filling that void with something else um, is pure foolishness. Your own religion testifies against you. Person says, how could you survive without doing heroin? Where in Tanakh does it say that the, you're supposed to eat the body and drink the blood of Mashiach? The Eucharist to eat ritual cannibalism is in Tanakh? Or do the prophets warn us at every turn that we should not engage in human sacrifices and offer innocent ones to Molech. Okay, one, uh, we reject the, the Eucharist and, and it's giving by the Catholic Church. We, Eucharist means um, thanksgiving, so we agree that it's a thanksgiving for what Jesus did and he gave himself for his people, right? Absolutely, like a like an innocent lamb. Um, so in that way, we, the innocent lamb of God was sacrificed for the sins of his people. Um, just like an innocent lamb, the animal is sacrificed for the sins of one or many. So in that sense, we, we thank him for his body and his blood that were spilled, but it's not ritual cannibalism. I mean, we are eating and drinking of him, i.e. we're learning from him and submitting to him and remembering his sacrifice, but we aren't actually eating him or, or pretend eating him either. Um, and in the same vein, uh, the restriction against sacrificing children to Moloch, we, it wasn't to Moloch, it was to God. So I, that, that would be my contention against that. The innocent lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was sacrificed to God. So I, there you go. And you cannot sacrifice other men because other men are sinful. So it wouldn't be a pure sacrifice. It'd be like sacrificing an impure lamb on the altar, um, which is sin against God. But sacrificing a pure lamb is good and holy. And so Jesus gave himself up as the pure lamb for the sacrifice of the world. And therefore it wasn't like human sacrifice in that if I went and killed you, Sebastian, um, it would be wicked and evil, not only the murder, but the sacrifice would be detestable to God because you're unclean, you're sinful. Whereas Jesus was perfect and a man, and that's how he atones for all of us. Thank you, Michael. I don't know if I should take that, you know, as a good lesson or as an insult. So I'll take it as both. And yes, and, and I would ask you, please, to understand that the Eucharist, as we've gone over in our Catholicism episode, another shadow, to it took a long time for that to develop. Even in Catholic theology today, it's an unbloody sacrifice. So mm -hmm. even though they call it the actual body of Jesus, it's really not <laughs> contradictory, I understand, but it's not the actual body. Like you you stab it, it's not going to bleed because it's not the actual body. It's you know it's infused. So all of this goes to say, this is not really addressing the heart of matter. When you're saying, you know, Christians are, you know, polytheists or stuff like that, but that's not what Christians say. Not even Catholics, not even Orthodox say that. They understand. They were, everyone's going to say, where's your one God? It's just that you're claiming we're doing something else. Oh, I don't know. It's, it's all over the place. That's what I'm getting. And equally, you don't have to. Um give thanks. You don't have to do the Eucharist to live. I understand Catholics and others would disagree, but the 
Christian scriptures do not testify to that. That's Catholic tradition, just like there's Mishnah. It's additional tradition on top of the actual scripture. So just going back to the scriptures, you do not have to give the Eucharist to be saved. Um, it's just a tradition commended to you by scripture to remember the giving of the Lord. The Lord says, if you don't eat and drink of me, you will surely die. But clearly, I don't think that is um, in reference to the Eucharist, the eating and drinking of bread and water, I believe it, or bread and wine, it is eating and drinking of me as in dying to self, taking up the cross and following him. So eating and drinking of me is fully taking on him and believing in him. So that's that's what he means by whoever eats and drinks of me um, will live. When he says it to the Samaritan woman at the well, when Jesus says that to the Samaritan woman at the well, when he says there's a well of infinite water you could have um, that ever runs dry, he's clearly not suggesting that she suddenly like take the Eucharist there or, or drink his own blood, right? Neither of those things. It was about learning from him and um, being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Drinking sure. blood is forbidden. There's nothing remotely like this. It's not blood. Yes, if you want to find it, you'll find it in the screeds of Paul in 1 Corinthians. You'll find it in the Eucharist of the Gospels. Oh, but you will not find such, such tiflis. You'll not find a spiritual novella anywhere in Tanakh. The person says, how could you survive without heroin? What kind of question is that? I, look, I apologize. If I'm... If I am, if I sound outraged, I am, but I do know that, I, I wouldn't talk to the Christians. If you're a Jew, a Muslim, just don't say anything. I'm, I'm just talking to Christians. I'm not talking to the Muslims, I'm not talking to the Jews right now. I, I think that being told as a youngster that Jesus loves you from your grandmother, and that's how you used to go to sleep at night, and that was your source of peace, Jesus loves me, and that you have to believe in the Trinity, and that's the only way to be saved. I know that had an indelible impact on you. I, I, I would posit to you, Christians, that I know this is a source of comfort to you, but it is smoking a cigarette. And just as smoking a cigarette, I presume, brings enormous comfort to the smoker. It's temporary. In the long run, it will kill them. See Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. The covenant is... Before he goes into that, uh, you could make the exact same argument to you, Tober Singer. You were raised a Jew, were you not? So you just suckling at the teeth of your mother? Who told you that God is one and that Jesus is a false prophet? If we don't engage in the actual material, we're not being honest with each other, right? So I, I'm not using that argument against you saying you're raised in it, so you have I disregard all your opinions. And equally, you shouldn't say that to Christians either. It's only given to those who guard the commandments, who keep the mitzvahs, and who love Hashem. Hashem wants those two things. That's how a person could be saved. Loyal to Hashem and have a personal relationship with Hashem. Love Him. He loves you intensely, and He wants to be close to you. Don't worry, he knows you better than you know yourself. And he's saying you can do it. And if Paul says you can do it, throw away Paul. Throw <laughs> Again, self-testifying against your own abilities, you can't fulfill the law, not only the moral law, right? You can't, you can't, like, obviously you have not, Toby, you have not fulfilled the moral law. Let's just, you should be honest. You know you've lied, you know you've stolen, so have I. We all have. No man on earth besides Jesus Christ and the original Adam um, ever performed any milliseconds without sin. Right? So you say that you can fulfill the law, moral and ceremonial? Of course you cannot fulfill the ceremonial law. The temple's not even there. How many sacrifices have you made, Toby? How many, how many lambs have you slaughtered for the sins of your people? How many times have you given tithe to the high priest? Never. You've never done it. You cannot fulfill the law. Literally, you cannot. So even if you claimed to be innocent or that God forgives you of your moral infractions, you cannot fulfill the ceremonial law even a little bit. And guess what happened? You know better than I. Guess what happened to Jews who did not fulfill the ceremonial law in Israel. They were punished. They were considered wicked. The wicked lost tribes of Israel because they, they sacrificed a Molech, they did a ton of other idolatry stuff, and they abandoned the ceremonial law of God. So even if their hearts were right, right, the ceremony was gone. 
Now, I understand that, that God desires mercy, not sacrifice, but he does command for sacrifice. And so if you can't give it, what does that say about your law? It says there's a new paradigm to me, right? Or that God is false. And of course, we know God doesn't lie. So the new paradigm is through Jesus Christ. Can you fulfill the ceremonial law and then fulfill the moral law through his death? But you, you reject your only chance at salvation, the only way to fulfill the law. So you say you can do the law. I say not only can you not do the law, you think you can, but of course you cannot do the ceremonial law. It's embarrassing that you'd even say that. Throw them out the window. Anyways, I hope I've, I probably offended a few people. For those who know that it's only from my heart, because you need to know the end. Time is running short. You need to know. I agree. But we all do need to know the truth. And I'm not offended. I'm just impassioned, just like you. Any last words, Sebastian, for Tobia or in Judaism and the Christian gospel in general? Take heart, you know, all everything that either himself or any other scholarly Jewish person has learned for his or her entire life, that we have to the commandments of Adonai. That also includes the sacrifice. And if you cannot say with an honest face that you have fully, perfectly obeyed the law of God. No one can. No human can. And understanding that then, we should be saying, okay, let's let's sacrifice at the temple for some atonement to get your atonement that you need. Well, can't do that either. So we're, so we're, you see how we're in a, in a pickle. We have to understand now that the prophets pointed to someone who would be born, who would be mm-hmm. an actual human. I'll just read from Micah, the prophet Micah. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small amongst the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Also means from eternity past. Mm-hmm. So he's going to be born. He's going to be from the tribe of Judah. And he's going to be eternal. So already there, you know, you should get the, that should get the gears going in your head. And also we understand that David prophesied of someone who's going to be like Melchizedek, who Abraham gave offerings to, the 10, 10%, 10%, and Melchizedek was priest and king, which, you know, it's illegal. That's a no-no for during the times of the kingdom of Israel. The, the, you have to be separate. You have a high priest and you have a king. Well, and equally, Messiah is from the be... tribe of Levi, right? Melchizedek was not from the tribe of Levi, and therefore would be disqualified from being a priest. However, he was indeed a priest of God. Exactly. So this Messiah is going to be both, as David points points to and then also as other prophets say he's going to be eternal he's going to be born he's going to isaiah points he's going to atone for our sins he's going to bear our transgressions on him and now we have no way Jew, jewish people can no longer on their own at the temple atone for their sins so therefore this is our calling trust only in christ who is the perfect high priest the king of israel he the world the planet is now his footstool as god said you know and he is the continuation of the line of David. He is the living God who took human form and died for our sins. We didn't deserve for him, like, like we don't deserve his sacrifice. He did it willingly. So now our call is to everybody, Jew or Gentile, come, turn to Christ, repent. Don't just believe in him, repent, turn to him, trust in him. And he will be the ultimate, the one and only atonement, not a repetitive, like a mass, you know, like you come get the Eucharist every Sunday, 
No, it's a once and for all sacrifice. And that's how you can have shalom with Adonai. Mm-hmm. And to Rabbi Tobia and to other Jews, it's out of love that we do these kind of debates. It's not because we despise you and want you to die or, or wish that you perish or want to see you continue in foolishness. We want you to come out of foolishness, just like you're attempting to do for us. And uh, no other words speak truer than Isaiah, who says to his fellow Israelites, his people's heart has grown cold and they worship me in vain and they teach his um, doctrines, human commands. And so the fact that you would turn to the Mishnahs and to rabbi, rabbinical teachings to excuse the fact that you don't do ceremonial law anymore, and it's not from the Torah, it's not from the prophets, and it's not from the writings. Instead, again, you turn to the Mishnah, you turn to rabbinic teachings that shows you fulfill this condemnation from Isaiah that you teach his doctrine, human commands. And our call, again, is to come to the free gift of the gospel, to give up everything you have, submit to Christ, submit to God, and live and gain everything that he has. So that's why we have found our cause in serving that very same Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you can go to foundgods.pinebead.com and download them all for your listening pleasure. That is audio only, though. If you want to go see us on our lovely faces and see Rabbi Tobia's lovely face, you can go to facebook.com forward slash foundcause, or you can go to YouTube and search as foundcause there as well. We're also on Spotify and iTunes and wherever else you might find your podcast. Until next time, we talk about something completely different. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Goodbye.